All right, guys, welcome back to the show and happy Easter. Uh, this episode will, like I said, be running on Easter Sunday. So, um, you know, I will be probably just about to hit the road to meet up with some of the guys from the Gritty crew to uh, do a bear hunt. So um, I may be in route when you listen to this. So definitely keep me in prayer with that project. Um, But uh, on this special Sunday, I wanted to release um, an episode with uh, my guest this week, which is Jay Vallotton. Um, so if you are into the church world at all, or if you even if you've been to church or if you're into worship music, you've probably heard of Bethel. It's a really large and pretty famous church out in Northern California and Redding, California. And um, Chris Valton, which is Jay's father, is one of the lead pastors there um, and written many books. Um, And Jay is um, also a pastor at Bethel Church and the founder of a men's ministry called Brave Co. So, um, you know, this is a really good episode uh, for Easter Sunday. Um, It's not specific to Easter, um, but Jay's a pastor, um, but also a really cool guy and a hunter as well. Um, he's, He's killed some huge bears and done a lot of cool hunts, so we talk about that as well. You know, um, just a warning though, we do also get into some kind of, you know, um, not inappropriate stuff, but stuff that's a little heavy um, and just really honest and um, um, and real about manhood and being a man and being a godly man. So it may not be the best episode if you're listening with young children or, you know, um, younger teenagers or whatnot. Um you know, you just may want to be aware that we, you know, we talk about some some real issues that men deal with and struggle with. So um, it's a great episode. I think you guys will get a lot out of it. Please um, like the page, the YouTube page. Go over there and subscribe. Um, hit me up on Instagram and follow me on Instagram at the Hunter's Quest. Also, leave me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That's really helpful uh, for getting the word out. But most importantly, just share this episode with friends and family. I think we got a lot of new listeners out there. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I appreciate you all support. And of course, I appreciate those who have been listening for a long time. So, um, you know, keep tuning in. Um, again, I'm going to keep reminding you. Um, but if you have not yet, go check out my first hunt film from Kodiak. You can find it on Brian Call's YouTube channel, as well as my YouTube channel by searching my name on YouTube, Hunter McWaters. Um, it's a great film, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So um, thank you for your support. Thank you for your support, excuse me. And uh, let's just jump into this episode with Jay, and happy Easter, guys. I am here today with my guest. Super excited to talk to Jay Valton. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, and we were just talking before. You are in Reading, and I know you're on staff with Bethel. So just give folks a rundown real quick, just kind of who you are, what you're up to, what you do, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, I've been on staff at Bethel Church since 2004. Um, when I was and just if you haven't heard of Bethel probably 90% of the worship songs you sing in your church were written by Bethel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true, man. It's, it's been an honor to, to be here and, and be on staff. And I worked in the school of ministry, which is our nine month, uh, kind of, yeah, ministry school did that for 10 years and then wow. moved over to the local church uh, in 2000. Oh, 
13 okay. and oversee all the like the pastoral care, the um, emotional health of the church is really what I was mm. focused on. Um, and so now I oversee our counseling center, our transformation center, and nice. then um, our men's ministry and uh, run a nonprofit called Braveco, which is also um, yeah, a men's ministry geared towards transforming men back into their God-given creation. Yeah, there's been like a really strong attack as of late on manhood. Is yeah. that did Braveco kind of come out of that, or is something that you started before that, and have seen it go go through that, or what's what's the story with that? Yeah, so um, I was really blessed to grow up in a good, strong home. Um, yeah, I've read some of your dad's books. Yeah, a lot of people, <laughs> you know, it's a rarity to grow up in home with two parents, let alone two parents who love you. And, uh, and God, and from a young age, I remember sitting around the table, you know, this was in the, the, uh, eighties. I, I was born 1980 okay. and, um, back in, back in the eighties, we didn't have the internet. Right. And <laughs> so, you know, you didn't insert the internet or do any of that text around the dinner table. My dad told right. stories. So I remember my dad was telling me about David and his mighty men. Oh, cool. I, was, I don't know, probably. 10, 11 years old. And when he was done, I just remember like my heart burning when he was talking about David hiding and, and running for his life, hiding in the caves. And he had all these outcasts, these men who were thieves and who were murderers and who were just, they were nobody, but they wanted to be somebody. Yeah. They gathered around David and um, they got restored. And like one guy could kill a thousand men and two guys could kill like 10,000 men. And I just remembered, I tell my dad, like, I want to do that. And <laughs> he thought I was saying like I to kill a thousand men, which that too. But, um, I said, no, I want to, I want to help people get well. And so, you know, that's, that's why I went into ministry. Nice. I, I fought fire for a couple of years before I went in school ministry and, okay. and then, uh, came on staff here after that. And, um, so Brave Co came out of just a heart to see men get well. I've worked with sex addicts forever. I've done counseling since I was 20 years old. So I started wow. really, really young. Um, that was part of growing up and, and my dad was like, man, you're great with people. You need to just, you need to use that gift. You need to find mm -hmm. out what people need and, and give them what you have. And and so since I was a young boy, I started just talking with people, ministering to people, um, at youth group, I would do that. Just spend time. I'd find someone who's hurting and I'd spend time talking with them, helping them. And, uh, in about 2019, I really felt like actually 2018, I felt like, man, I got to do something with men. I've, I've always helped men. I've worked, like I said, in men's ministry, counseled tons and tons and tons of people. But, um, so I decided to do a men's retreat. We did it in Texas at the Wildcatter Ranch. Nice. In Graham, Texas. Um, and it was phenomenal. We had 78 guys there uh, for the weekend. We broke a wild horse in an arena. Oh, that's cool. My friend does that. Yeah, it's incredible. And um, it was like one of the most phenomenal weekends I've, I've been a part of. And so that kind of launched us. And then um, I was getting ready to do it again. So that was 2019. 2020. I was going to do it again. Um, 
but COVID happened. Oh man. Yep. Which pretty much shut down everything, of course. And so I was just like, man, I don't know. I'm sitting, I I had had a baby. Um, My baby was born, my fourth child um, in March 6th. Edie was born. My birthday is March 5th. Okay, there you go. (laughs) So I was just like, I can't remember when it was, probably um, April or May. COVID was just going nuts. And I was like, man, there's just so many dudes sitting at home right now. Mm -hmm. Got a job, just freaking suffering. So I posted on my Instagram, hey, if anyone wants to do, um, wants to join me, I'm going to do 10 days straight talking about masculinity, manhood, how God created you. And we did that. Um, It was awesome. I had 125 guys join me and we did eight weeks on masculinity and manhood. And then I ran it back again. Um, I had 250 guys join me that time. We're doing it like virtually or together? Yeah, so we just set up a Zoom link. Okay, cool. I signed up and basically I just said, hey, if you miss more than two, um, you can't join again. I just set some simple parameters around it and guys showed up, man. And it was friggin' awesome. And then uh, just built some structure around it. I was talking to a friend of mine and he was, he was, he's really great at the organizational side Mm -hmm. of building. So now he's my CEO. Uh, for Braveco. Okay. But uh, what it what it turned into is we have a now we have a 12 month discipleship program for men. And um it goes through four main topics. Uh so we have our foundations for masculinity. So that's 12 weeks. Then we go into uh, sexuality and relationships and then finances and then leadership. Cool. And so we have 48 weeks of of teaching guys um join in on our actually built a platform that's like zoom so on our uh-huh. braveco.org platform yeah guys can can join us live we do a big watch party on monday nice um, so each man's in a small group uh, about seven seven guys per group and then they have a guide that's over them that helps him so it's been phenomenal man i've just people people are hurting so bad marriages are busted yeah People's finances are trashed the way they see themselves. Um, it's really hard as a man right now. It's just really hard in general mm-hmm. to live a healthy whole life. And um, so, you know, I, I think this is our solution to guys really learning how to take care of themselves how to work through pain, how to, how to, um, set healthy boundaries, learning what, what does it really mean to be a man? What's my role as a man in life? How do I love myself? I I mean, just all, just the basic stuff that, that you were supposed to get growing up in life that most men haven't gotten. And Mm -hmm. and honestly, it's not their fault. Um, It's just, it's just where men are at. So, um, yeah, we started Braveco and it's been phenomenal. That's awesome, man. Because yeah, there definitely is a lack of resources for men. I feel like, and um, I don't know. I feel like 
men in general have sort of been under attack like more lately but even for a long time i mean even like growing up if you look at like the sitcoms like you and us you and i grew up watching like the dad was always like the idiot guy that always screwed up everything and like you know stuff like that just like subtle things but um and there's and then you grow up and you're supposed to be responsible you know provider protector but no one's told you anything about how to do that or like anything so that's that's awesome, man. And it's funny you mentioned uh, hearing about David and your mighty men from your dad because that's one of my earliest memories of the Bible is coming down early in the morning. My dad would be up, you know, in his bathrobe or whatever, just sitting there and, and reading the Bible. Yeah. And pull me up on his knee. And that was the first thing I remember is him reading to me about uh, David and Saul. And um, the one yep. that stuck out in my mind was when uh, David always would, would creep up into the cave and cut off a corner of his robe while he was taking a poop. <laughs> <laughs> I always love those stories, man. Yeah, they're crazy. Um, our world, yeah, masculinity is definitely on attack. Mm. And um, I think our our fathers did such a poor job, uh, not specifically your dad or my dad, dad yeah. but, you know, we had the, the 60s movement, which you have Woodstock, people meeting from everywhere to do you know, free love, just right. this free love movement and coming out of a really, that was society's answer to um, living in a very controlling environment, right? So the 40s and 50s, mm. super controlling and kids were just like, whatever, man, I'm not going to live live controlled and in yeah. fear, just tons of religion. God's not going to love you if you don't do this and right. uh, the, all the rules and that religion puts on us. And so, yeah, the 60s is free love and out of 60s and 70s, out of, you know, people wanting to experience uh, freedom and love, uh, you have a whole bunch of babies that are born out of wedlock mm. and then men not wanting to take responsibility. And so, you know, I, on one hand, like I don't super blame women or society for hating men on one mm. hand because you have uh, – what happens to a woman when she wants to feel cared for? She wants to feel valuable, right? Because a, a mm-hmm. woman, the question that a woman's asking herself is, am I worthy to be pursued? That's the question that she's always asking herself. Mm-hmm. And of course, thanks to John Eldridge, the question that a man is always asking himself is, do I have what it takes? And so you have this culture, 60s and 70s, where each other are answering those questions not through commitment and covenant and through health, but I mean, literally just hooking up and, and doing whatever, sleeping together with no consequences out of that. You have, again, babies being born, men not wanting to take responsibility because they don't actually feel like they have what it takes. They're afraid to do that. Hmm. Plus why take responsibility? If you can have all the benefits of being in a relationship without all the responsibility, who's not going to take that deal. So, you know, we live in the most fatherless generation that's ever been alive in history that mm. does, that hasn't come from war. Wow. So that's you have – it's it's so different. You know, in World War and Vietnam and sure, there was tons of dads that weren't at home, but it wasn't because dad didn't want you right. or mom. It was because dad wanted to fight for you. 
which is way and different. Now you have all these these homes, these families that are struggling, man, struggling, simply because you have a father that doesn't want to commit, doesn't want to grow up, wants to grow old, but doesn't want to grow up, wants all the benefits of uh, being in a relationship without having to commit. And so, you know, yeah, I think the world has reacted to our inability um, to show up in a relationship. And, and, you know, it's a tragedy. Right now, what we have going on in the world is a tragedy. The real pandemic is fatherlessness. Hmm. And not to jump on a soapbox, but if you look at all the statistics that we're trying to solve uh, as, as a church, what, what typical church would try to solve. So abortion, mm-hmm. homelessness, suicide, incarceration, all of that is linked back to fatherlessness. All of it. It's insane. Yeah. 90% of, of all men, sorry, 90% of all people in prison are men for starters. But of those men, 90% of those men who are in prison grew up in a home without a dad. Yeah. Dang. It's That's crazy. Yeah. And 49% of all children born today are born in a home without a dad. Wow. 49%. That's, 49%. that's nuts. And then the ones of us that, that are, you know, around and whatnot, I mean, we're under constant attack. Like I feel like I've shielded myself from it to a large degree because I literally don't watch the news ever. Like literally not at all. Um, I try to filter as much as possible. Anything I intake, um, you know, I have a, a program of spiritual fitness as well as physical fitness. Um, but even, even that, like it seeps in. So like, unless you're literally like living in the wilderness, like (laughs) with no attachment to media whatsoever, you're going to feel some effects of, of these attacks. And, um, it's going to make you on some level, you know, hate to say it, but question yourself, you know, am I good enough? Or, you know, it's just, there's so much distraction and stuff out there. You have to be really intentional about, getting away from it and feeding yourself with the good stuff. Cause I mean, it's, you can't even watch a commercial these days and I don't want to get on this topic, but you can't even watch uh, literally a commercial without like two dudes kissing each other on the commercial. Yeah. And again, I think it, you're, you're looking at a, a few generations who have been so wounded by the passivity of men Mm and being abandoned by fathers and uh, generations who are suffering from a instant gratification, self-gratification, mm. you know, culture. And, and we're not fixing it by going out and, and changing genders or, or, um, you know, sleeping around or so you just, it's just what happens it, in, I'll tell you, I really do think that men are to blame for a lot of it. Hmm. So let me just start here. Like the responsibility was, in my opinion, was placed on a man to lead. Not that a woman can't lead, but the responsibility to protect, promote, provide, that was placed on on men in society and in the home from God. And... I think when dad doesn't show up in a home, when dad doesn't give you identity, when dad doesn't promote you 
when dad doesn't protect you, when dad doesn't provide for you, I mean, you grow up resenting the thing that was supposed to care for you. Right. And I tell people this all the time, uh, whether it's men that I'm speaking to or, or our school of ministry, which would be students from 18 to 80 years old, is where people are at today. Their struggle with addiction, their struggle with, uh, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Alcohol, probably, it's probably not your fault. It's probably not your fault. Just follow me here. Because okay. if you grew up in a home, the average home today, if you grew up in a home without a dad, or let's say you have a dad, well, how good is your connection to your dad? Do you feel cared for? Do you feel known? Do you feel valued, pursued, understood, championed? Probably not. Most people today probably don't. The average person doesn't. Hmm. So they say that you become what you think the most important person in your life thinks of you. Yeah. But is that also, are people replacing the heavenly father with their earthly father in that situation? I mean, shouldn't a lot of that be coming from God? Here's the thing. When you... When who was supposed to teach you how Father God sees you? True. Yeah. You're supposed to grow up in a home, right? Where mom and dad, they adore you. They look at you. They hold you before you can even give them anything. Right. You're putting your pants. You're spitting up. You're screaming. And they are saying, constantly, they're saying, you are valuable. I love you. I'll stop my world and make you, I will learn your needs. I will yeah. nurture and cherish you, right? And when you grow up in a home, where you didn't get that. You don't bond to mom and dad, or let's say that you bond through unhealthy attachments. You bond in in the chaos. Well, that, that is, you, you grow up in a world of pain and you have to medicate pain Mm -hmm. one way or another. Well, who taught you how to medicate pain? Your parents do if they're there and they can teach you a healthy process for dealing with pain. But if your parents weren't present in your pain, then you're medicating, you learn coping mechanisms to medicate. And most people are learning how to medicate. By the time of 11 years old, kids have already been exposed to porn and even earlier than that. So you get hooked at porn when you're really young. Well, who do you have to talk to about your porn issue? Yeah, you your feel mom- like you can't talk to your parents because it's like you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> in trouble. So that 11-year-old or that 8-year-old or that 9-year-old boy is living in a grown-up world full of pain. Yeah just chaotic and and then he's at 18 he's expected to be a man no one's ever taught him anything except for school well school's not teaching you how to communicate it's not teaching you what what your core emotions are how to express them how to how to even set a healthy boundary you don't even learn boundaries in school yeah so you know i don't think where where people if you're listening to this podcast today and you are struggling with an addiction, you're struggling with alcoholism, you're struggling with porn or masturbation, or let's just say you don't love your perception of you. You wake up in the morning and you don't love you. Probably not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Hmm. It's your responsibility. And here's why I say it's your responsibility. Again, I mean, I've, I do, I've done thousands and thousands of counseling appointments, thousands of them since I was yeah. 20. Where people are at typically is not their fault. It didn't start with them. But if you don't take responsibility, see, the worst thing that you can be in this life is a victim. Mm -hmm. 
because a victim doesn't have control over what happens to them or where they're going to go or what they're going to be. And um, the biggest thing that's happening to our world today are people aren't wanting to take responsibility and they want to stay the victim because they don't want it to be their fault. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's leaving you in them stuck in a place where, you know, you have to find somebody to blame. If you're a victim, you got to find somebody to blame and, uh, and then you need someone to take care of you forever. So I, I think that where we're at today as men is we've got to decide that we're going to be responsible for our lives yeah. and move forward like you did in your life, you know, uh, going from being an addict or going from obesity, um, you know, there's roots behind all that stuff, but you decided to take control of your life and take some steps and move forward. Yeah. And, you know, with stuff, you know, ministries like you're running and, um, some guys never get there. They die in, in everything they're dealing with. Um, some guys like me eventually with God's help, figure it out and, and do something about it. But I mean, like in my case, you know, it took years and years and years of pain. And then it took really years to dig myself out of these holes I had dug for myself. And, um, and you know, there could be easier ways out for guys, you know, that have a little help. And that, hopefully that's kind of where you come in. So, you know, that is the, I think, um, teaching guys how to really care for themselves, um, being a guide in their life. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you don't have to all the pain and, and drama and suffering, but yeah, I think, I think men need to, to stop and take a look at their life and ask themselves, you know, what, what was your childhood like? Yeah. Um, who gave you the right to be a man who taught you how to be a man and start to piece together. Like, why do you believe what you believe? And do you know how to work through pain? Do you know how to set boundaries? Do you, do you have confidence that you're lovable? So to answer your earlier question, yeah, your parents were supposed to nurture you up, right? And you feel lovable. And then that was supposed to directly transfer over into your relationship with God. So my dad, my earthly father thinks that I'm awesome. My heavenly father thinks I'm awesome. It's just supposed to be this really easy transition. Well, you grew up in a home where your earthly dad was an asshole. Then the way that you see heavenly father, um, is probably really painful. Really. And And that becomes a problem. Yeah. And just like that, that porn thing you mentioned earlier, I mean, I know it's like, like you said, most kids get exposed by the time they're 11. That's probably about the time one of my buddies showed me a naked picture online or something, you know, and, and then you grow up and like, you don't realize the damage you're doing to yourself at all. And then, um, you know, society like tells you it's normal for guys to watch porn. Like that's, I literally believed that like, Oh, I watch porn. I'm a guy. Yeah. Even as a Christian guy. And like, and then I like, like realize one day, like that is not normal. That's bad. Like, you know, and, um, and I'd already done so much damage to myself and and luckily, you know, I feel like God has delivered me from that. Um, it's still something that you have to be vigilant about, but, um, 
it's it's just it's crazy how these insidious things can just sneak in as you're a child and and then you know you can do tons of damage to yourself and i believe that was part of my road into you know addiction to other things and and that's still something that i think is you know being healed in me as well um but you know i do want to this is all good stuff i do want to kind of like segue a little bit into how you know um hunting in the outdoors kind of relates to all this stuff because i know you're a big outdoorsman um so when you know when was the first time you were exposed to hunting or the outdoors as a child yeah so i grew up in in uh weaverville california northern california a small town of about three thousand, and we had basically a house out in the woods and so you know at a really young age my dad doesn't hunt but um hunting's kind of in my family just skip my dad so i would chase birds i'd shoot birds eight hours a day if i could (laughs) Yeah. wear out wear out bb guns and shoot them with wrist rockets and air bow and, arrow and all of that stuff that's cool man yeah like i didn't know so i guess we have like a mutual friend that a guy that i just kind of ran to on instagram and I, so um i kind of have been in ministry um i'm just transitioning out but i've been working in full-time ministry for a few years now and i worked for christian broadcasting network for seven years and so Um, so obviously I know of Bethel, I know of, you know, like I said, I've read some of your dad's books and then like, so I met, I I got, I get to this guy on Instagram, Trey, and like, I had no idea that like all the pastors at Bethel were like big time hunters. I was like, that's awesome. (laughs) It's so cool. Um, yeah, most of us grew up in the mountains and that's how you, that's what you did for fun. We hunted and fished and hiked and yeah all that stuff. Yeah. I, I just thought like you guys are a bunch of California guys and, you know, just ate nuts and seeds and didn't do anything cool. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Uh, and that, that stuff's all right. But yeah, I mean, I think so much of so much joy and just value in my life comes from the pursuit yeah. uh, of animals and adventure and exploring it's, I love it, man. Didn't you kill, I heard you killed like some kind of giant bear. <laughs> yeah. So 2018, my friend Pat Donaldson uh, invited me up to Alaska. He's the guide up there. And we did a, a grizzly bear slash moose hunt. Okay. And um, on the what was it, second day of the hunt, um, I shot a massive grizzly bear with my bow. Nice. Yeah. That was awesome, dude. Um, what kind of bow you shoot? Uh, I shoot a, a prime. Okay. A lot of guys are shooting prime these days. Yeah. Well, man, it's just, it's just super forgiving. It's, I think it's probably a six or seven year old bow. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried a bunch of different bows and I haven't found anything better. Yeah. I mean, technology's advancing, but not, not that much. So yeah. Yeah, my bow shoots great. Um, I actually shot a moose on that same hunt. Shot that. Oh, gri- wow. Yeah, the grizzly bear went number thirty six for all time for um, for grizzlies, and then Good. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And then my moose was is pretty big. It wasn't massive, but I think it was. I mean, for non residents, any moose that's legal is pretty big. Yeah, I think it was a sixty eight or something. Oh wow, dang! Yeah. Alaska's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible, man. Yeah, if you guys are listening, you haven't been just go. Um, so how do you, you know, why do you think God put it 
in our hearts, like as men to be hunters? Yeah. Well, I mean, how is hunting important? Like for a man, I think for starters, could you imagine a world where, um, men didn't want to hunt? We wouldn't be here today. Yeah. (laughs) Straight up. Yeah. So I think just in, in terms of survival, man's ability to pursue. Yeah. But I guess uh, for like the modern man, I guess I would rephrase it. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm also saying part of, part of what keeps me hunting is this tie back to my ancestors. I mean, Mm. for reals, I, I've, I don't know that there's any place that I feel closer to my ancestors than when I'm out doing what they did in Mm. order to survive. So I just think that it's like, well, why does a bloodhound, uh, want to bay a cat? I mean, it's just, it was just bred for that. It was born in for us. Like, I, I feel like that. So, but there's so much that comes out of the adventure of the pursuit and so much confidence. I think mm. that when God put in us this drive to go beyond what we think is possible, mm-hmm. get out of our comfort zone, experience what he created um yeah and hunting does that yeah boring does that uh getting putting yourself pushing the limits is so important i i think that what i realized in firefighting i've i fought fire for a couple of years wildland firefighting and i realized there's such a benefit to finding the edge of your capacity of oh, work, absolutely working to failure. And what I realized in firefighting is that before you worked a 30 hour shift of hiking hills, running chainsaws, you didn't think you could work a 30 hour shift. And you yeah. were always afraid of what would happen if you overdid it always. And there were other, a lot of other crews that, that, um, would try to save themselves for the big day when something happened and they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't, for instance, they wouldn't do PT uh, on a day that they might get called out because hmm. they're tired. And we did the opposite. We do PT every day, regardless of where you're at. Hmm. And what you realize is that, oh, you have way more capacity than you think you have. And it just gave you confidence. And I feel like the same thing, you know, hunting builds competence and competence builds confidence. Mm-hmm. And a confident man. Uh, he's a man that's going somewhere and um, he's, he's effective. And so, you know, I don't feel like every man has to hunt, but I do think it's a great Avenue to build competency and confidence and to, to really reach into a place of uh, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and and getting it done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I heard you talking um, on another podcast about um, you were talking more metaphorically in terms of the mountains of life, whether it be fatherhood or marriage or whatnot. And you're talking about how those things require preparation. And I was thinking how how similar that is to the natural world when, you know, you book a seven, 10 day hunt in the mountains, you know, maybe it's archery elk or something. And, you know, like I better be like with, with the first time I booked that trip to Alaska and I realized what I got myself into, I was like, 
I need to start training hard and like, I need to prepare for this or it's going to be awful. Um, so like, how do you, and I, I like, also, you know, also I heard you talking about, you know, people like to throw around these very flowery, uh, phrases and Christianese about like, like, I think you're talking about like nail to the cross, you know, and, um, what does that actually mean? So like on a really practical level, I'd love to hear about how you stay fit physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I've been on a freaking huge journey, probably like every guy in that. Yeah. Year. And feel free to go into some of that journey if you'd like to kind of give us a little back on that. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I do. I, I think that in this life, if you're listening to this podcast, your story is full of ups and downs. You know, if I go through my timeline, uh, just very, very quickly at, at, uh, gosh, 10 years old, I found masturbation and got addicted to masturbation at 14. I found porn. So then I was addicted to porn and masturbation, um, got engaged at 17 in my high school, sweetheart, married at 18, had my first child by 19, Mm. had three kids by 24 plus a bisectomy. Um, yeah. Um, and then 27 went through a divorce. My wife left me. So I was a single dad at 27, had the Mm. kids time and, uh, it's just insane, insanely hard. And, uh, met my now wife at 29, went through a nervous breakdown at, uh, 30, Mm. lost the use of my arms completely. Whoa almost completely about 90% use of my arms uh, for a whole year. So then I had to get Dang. on Lexapro and Colonzapam. Um, Your arms didn't work for almost a year. I couldn't make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. How did people have to like feed you and stuff? I could do that, but it was, it was all I could do to do that. Wow. Dang, man. Yeah, it was insane. Um, basically I overdid it. I just overdid. I could go into all of it, but it would take a while. I overdid it. And uh, ended up my body just shutting down and wow. saying, screw you. Um, if you're not going to listen to me, we're done. So, yeah, tons tons and tons and tons of anxiety day in and day out. Demons showing up in my room. In the mm. flesh, I could see them. You know, wow. having three dreams a night. Um, just this just crazy torment. And I know some guys will be, like, embarrassed that I'm talking about stuff like that. But this is real stuff that people go through. It's just life. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one thing real quick. So those demonic attacks and stuff, like, do you think that the enemy saw that you were in a vulnerable time and like stepped up the attacks? Or do you think it was like all this was attacks or some combination or what, what do you think? Or like, did that make it worse or what? Yeah. I don't think that you can, that you can detach the physical from the spiritual. Sure. Um, so I feel like, I overdid it. I literally overdid it. And I could go through and tell everyone what I did to overdo it, but I overdid it. I overloaded my life and mm-hmm. I got really, really emotionally exhausted, like so emotionally exhausted, which led into lots of anxiety. So, so then I had tons of anxiety and I feel like the fear and the anxiety all day opened up that door mm-hmm. um, for then the enemy to, to come in and so he was kind of exploiting a weakness and like stepping up the attacks almost like i don't even know that he was stepping up anything i just feel like it opened up a door like okay the door open in your house and you find a cat inside and you're like 
well, how'd that get in there? Well, I left the door open. I, was, I just had so much anxiety. I couldn't get out from under the anxiety all day. And hmm. a lot of people will understand what I'm talking about because a lot of people go through nervous breakdowns and or have dealt with huge bouts of anxiety. So yeah. that's what happened. I got so low. Um, I, I tried to fight it off for about a year without taking any medication. Finally, my sister was like, well, you're doing more harm to yourself then you are good. You need to, you need to get on some medication. So I got on Clonzepam, um, which is super, uh, addictive. And then Lexapro, um, I never abused either of them, but you become medically dependent upon those. So sure. you know, moving on in my timeline, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I went through a, a seven year journey of trying to have kids got, got pregnant, uh, to have more kids with, with my now wife, Got pregnant five years into that, had a miscarriage hmm. uh, week 10 and, you know, finally got off the medication um, when my daughter was born in 2020. And, uh, but life's tough. That That's what I was doing my timeline for. Life sure. is, I don't care if you started out in an easy home, like I started out in a good home. Life is freaking tough. And unless you, unless you are prepared to be responsible for your life, to take responsibility and to prepare and to move forward and to look at challenges or uh, these these crappy places that you get to in life as a challenge. You know, James Wan says, consider it pure joy or hilarious laughter when you fall into unexpected trials for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And when perseverance runs its course, you will lack nothing. And the one thing that, that, well, two things you're guaranteed of in this life is that you're going to have troubles mm-hmm. and that you're going to die at some point. <laughs> <laughs> what you do with those troubles will decide where you're going to end up in life. And, and James says, if you consider it joy, you'll have, if you can stay in a place of joy, you'll have the energy to stay in the trial. And if you stay in the trial, you'll have the ability to expand mm-hmm. your capacity, your perseverance. Yeah. And so as a human, as a man, I want to get to a place where I'm confident. It doesn't matter what storm I'm in that I'm going to thrive. That was the confidence that every human was supposed to get when they were born mm-hmm. from parenting. And then through a relationship with God, there's nothing that is too big for you. There's nothing that's too big for your family. There's nothing too big for God. And so I really feel like the outdoors, again, it's just another level. It's another aspect of building confidence. Well, what's that confidence do? That confidence helps you to stick in there when your marriage is tough. Yeah. It helps you to show up every day and be present with your kids. Uh, it helps you to share your, your fears, what you're afraid of. It helps you to press in when you don't feel like it. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like my routine now, my normal routine is I work out, uh, I wake up five forty in the morning, go work out at my friend's house, uh, four days a week. It's nothing crazy. I only do an hour. It's good. Uh, read, read my Bible at night. Uh, I went years and years without doing reading my Bible, and um, and I, 
I feel like I feel like a lot of people get caught up on the religion of any of it, working out the religion of reading your Bible, the religion. And uh, I feel like I just got so burned out on that as a kid. It's easy to just be like, check that box. Yeah. I'd read my Bible. It's a weird balance though, too, because it's like, there's part of it's like, we don't want to just have like that religious box checking thing. But at the same time, like there's something to be said about like discipline as well. So it's kind of a fine line there, you know? Yeah. So for me, it, it came out of, um, I could preach both sides of the coin. And if you're going to err on one side, definitely err on the side of doing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think we all go through, we all have to go through this phase in life where, where you believe in it. So you do it. Yeah. You believe in it, so you do it. So that when you don't feel like doing it, you still do it because you believe in it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it wasn't like I've never believed in God or believed in, in reading the Bible. I just got to a place where I was so burned out on doing it because it's the right thing to do. Right. Um, so I went through that phase, whatever. Um, but now, you know, I want to learn. So I read to learn. I read to grow. I read to understand. I read to connect with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I read to, to get direction. I read to hear his voice. So I just, I just rediscovered why the why behind doing it, because if you just do it forever, just to do it, it's just the lowest level of doing it. It's so unmotivating. Um, And then, uh, emotionally mix in any like, um, breath work, meditation, listening, prayer, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, not a ton. Yeah. I would say I probably do more than the average. Uh, the way that we have embraced the Christian lifestyle is probably more than I mean I grew up in a home where my parents were I, I don't know at 11 years old I was learning how to cast out demons. Yeah. Somebody may be like, this guy's crazy. He's you know, <laughs> learning how to prophesy at 12 years old. Hear God's right. voice prophesy. And, um, See, we, I grew up like in a Baptist home and I like discovered all this stuff later. And it's like, it was like, whoa, you know? Yeah. And so I do, I mean, I've just lived that lifestyle. I've lived that lifestyle for, uh, you know, 30 years. I've just been in it. 40, my whole entire life I've been in, you know, practice what's God saying to you. Um, you know, just living that lifestyle. And so mm-hmm. I think what, no, what most people have to, you know, spend the, the later part of their life learning, like, okay, I'm going to do meditative prayer, which by the way, I'm not an expert in that. And I think there's massive benefit in that. Yeah. Um, I think my, my normal everyday lifestyle, I just do, I do a lot of that stuff just in everyday life. What's God saying to me? Um, sure. Yeah. So it's just more incorporated kind of in your daily walk as opposed to like, I'm doing this now. Yeah. Five yeah. minutes there, which again, I, I think probably different points in my life. Um, I, I'll definitely pick up the practice. I've sure. got to do that. Um, my friend, Chris Cruz wrote a book called the practice of being with Jesus. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal journey, uh, yeah. and through 
you know, learning to hear the voice of God. It's incredible. Um, and so I've done some of that stuff and it's been really, really beneficial in my life, but no, yeah. not doing that. Um, See, where, I, where I came from was like, all there was, was like that religious kind of read your Bible thing, you know? And so when I like discovered later in life, um, like what real prayer was and that prayer isn't always just talking only like that was kind of a rediscovery for me, but I can see how it's different when that's kind of something that's been a part of your faith since a child. Yeah. And those other areas I probably need to grow in, you know, the, um, yeah, it's I just different. It's cool. Just don't currently do that. Um, yeah. and then I think the emotional side, um, well, I spend so much time, so much time uh, teaching emotional health and living it. I mean, we really do. Uh, we, we practice what we preach and, and what we preach comes out of what we've done personally for ourselves. Mm -hmm. and, you know, part of how I got through my nervous breakdown was the body, soul, spirit work and just did so much work in, you know, exercising daily, um, being in the word, praying, um, hearing God's voice, living from a place of hearing God's voice. And then what are my needs, you know, physically, emotionally, uh, mentally. So yeah, I, my wife and I spend lots of time, um, talking about how we're doing, planning out our life, living mm -hmm. off of a calendar and a schedule, uh, making sure that I'm throwing fun in there as well. And, yeah. One of the first things that, that guys throw out of their life when they get busy, it's just the dumbest thing that you can do because really the only way you recharge in life is through probably having fun. <laughs> yeah. Life is so full of these big decisions and ups and downs that, man, if you're not out chasing quail or uh, hunting turkeys or uh, I don't know, just doing stuff that you like to do for fun, throwing a football, you're probably going to burn out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing you say that one time about, um, the best way to emotionally recharge is to have fun. It is. And I, like you said, that's something that, um, society might say like, you know, Oh, you should be, I don't know, working or whatever. Sometimes you just gotta like, no, I need to do this. Yeah. The, a good question for men to ask themselves is, um, you know, is your inflow matching your outflow, mm. just like finances, you know, I mean, when you're looking at, when you're doing your finances, you know, that if you spend more than you bring in, you're in trouble. It's only a matter of time. Yep. And I, it's so easy to feel really important, super, super important because you're, you're pushing X level. You're, you know, you're, you're a six figure businessman or a seven figure business. And it's like, that's cool as long as you're a seven figure investor in your own self, yeah, in your marriage and in your mm -hmm. relationship with your kids and in your, and uh, man, we just hide behind the one area that we're successful in and, and, and hardly ever push into the areas that need growth and they're just so small. And yeah. so after my nervous breakdown, man, I learned a big freaking lesson that if you're not taking care of your body, your soul and your spirit, it's only a matter of time before you have to. Yeah. And so I'm yeah. now. It's just my lifestyle. I just do that. I don't have relationships 
where I'm not honest and open. I don't have relationships where um, we don't have healthy boundaries. Uh, I don't have relationships where that there that aren't life giving. I just mm-hmm. don't. And yeah. um, so, but it's a challenge, you know. It's it's a challenge. Sure. That's so good, man. Like I've said before, like we are triune beings, just like you said, like I think probably one of the greatest examples of people are like, what, you know, I don't get the Trinity. What's the Trinity? Like you are a little miniature Trinity. You're a mind, a body and a spirit. Uh, You got to take care of all three and if they're not in balance, like you said, eventually the ship's going to crash. And, you know, I love you said earlier about like the mind body connection and in Western society, we've like ripped them apart. But really, they're not. They're one, kind of going back to what I just said, and how, you know, spiritual laws almost always have a physical um, mirror, like, you know, challenging yourself in the weight room and your muscles get sore and they grow. It's the same as like with spiritual growth um, or that like in inflow outflow thing you're talking about. So there's one that I, I've been kind of wrestling with in my own personal life um, that I've seen spiritually, but I'm just kind of trying to figured out um you know because I, I feel like there's a, a physical mirroring of it as well but anyway what i'm trying to get at is you go through these times or i go through these times maybe it's three months six months could be a year even of like it just seems like insane like spiritual like just like you're so connected with god and like things are just like falling to place and clicking and you're just like this is amazing like your times with god are like so good and then there's times where like you know, you're, um, you're not like maybe your, your times with God just don't feel like they're hitting or, um, you know, you just don't feel like that closeness and that connection. And to me, it's almost like, like with, with muscular growth, like you have to have like a rest period. You can't just be constantly building muscle all the time. Um, but then there are other people that say like, well, if you know, you're supposed to go from glory to glory and, uh, you know, the righteous, whatever the sun shines until noonday or whatever that proverb is, you know, like you're supposed to be growing all the time, but like I see physically that that's not really the reality. So I'm wondering like, and some people would even say like, Oh, you know, if you're not growing your backslid mm. and I'm like, okay, am I backslid or is, you know, I'm falling back on my discipline to spend time with God. Maybe even though I'm not feeling it and that's good. Am I just in like a spiritual rest phase? I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Backslid guys are the guys that hate the relationship with God. They just hate it, but they're <laughs> too afraid to say it <laughs> because they're just so concerned. Are you, you know, you're saying and, the guys that would call that a backslidden time are guys that are like that. They freaking hate the relationship hmm. with God because it's out of fear. It's a fear-based relationship hmm. and they're always trying to measure my backslid. Am I not backslid and, and performing for his love and performing. They learned that as a kid, they learned to perform. So I would say it's not their fault. It's a responsibility. They learn that they have to do all these things in order for God to be close to them. Mm. They got to do all these things in order for God to want to be around them. And man, if you have kids, would you ever make your kids do all these things in order for you to want to be close to them? Sorry. It it just doesn't work like that. So, you know, we go through different seasons in life. We go through different seasons. God's first language is not English. Mm. And, and a lot of how we learn to expand and to grow is we go through different things. And, and sometimes we feel really close to him. And, but feeling 
I think we have to put less weight on our feelings mm. and less importance on what we feel. And that's good. That's why people end up in, in, I mean, it's one of the reasons why people end up with, with this stupid theories about love. We fell out of love. Like, no, you, you just, you just chose to not pursue somebody anymore. And, right. and so, you know, we, we think feeling something is, is the hierarchy of living and it's just not. So I would say good. Yeah. for you, like, don't worry about what you feel. If you feel it's great. When I roll over and I see my wife in the morning, I don't care what I feel. I, let me just, let me start over. I care what I feel. It's not the most important thing. Mm. Because if you wake up next to a woman every single day, you're not going to feel madly in love with her every day. Right. It just doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> yeah. That's if a I, huge lie that society has tricked people and like, you have to feel like you're in love. No, love's a decision and a commitment. And like, yeah. So you're yeah. Not- feel that same way with God every time. And we have these mountaintop experiences with our wives. Your, your honeymoon was a mountaintop experience. You know, mm. uh, you get away without the kids for a few days and you can create that mountaintop experience. That's great. Well, that's not real life. Mm. It's vital for life. It's vital, but it's not necessarily real life. That's it's good. just a part, an aspect of life. So, you know, in your relationship with God, Enjoy the the searching and the seeking and the the you know finding him while he can be found and and the the different times when you're growing and you know change up the language so you know if you're not hearing if you're not feeling him uh, you try something else do something else you know it's like do contemplative prayer that's awesome and it, when that's like running its course and you're like man. I'm just not, it's not having the same impact. Okay. Do some deep studies, you know, okay, God, what are you saying for me in this season? What is this season? Like mm. probably um, a couple of months ago, I really felt like him, he was telling me you need to read, read Nehemiah. And I was like, awesome. So I'm reading Nehemiah and I'm, and I'm reading it and I'm going, okay, how are my, how's the walls in my life? What is my, and I'm just, I'm, I'm connecting with God through this, through the word. And, and, and so I think like, the the biggest lie is that you should feel something all the time. And ma'am, you should feel like you should wake up in the morning and feel a million bucks. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who's doing that. <laughs> uh, what drug you're taking, but <laughs> the, you know, passion. So let me just, I'll say this and I know we probably got to end soon, but passion, that, that, that feeling of like, wow, what pe- most people call love is actually passion. And yeah. passion to me comes from the exploration of something with the belief that there is no end to it. And so, you know, it's what when we're out in the woods and you feel so much, you're passionate. Mm. Love is that commitment. It's that I'm going to do this whether I whether I feel passionate or not, I am going to stay in the game. Yeah. And that's the foundation, that's the bedrock. So, you know, if you're in a place in your life where you're not passionate you're not feeling that passion for god and and where you're at that's okay just stay steady and mix it up a little bit mix it up around some other people who are you know they're they're experiencing mountaintop and they'll pull you up into that mountaintop experience or you know do some worship or do some you know grow that exploring get out of this and i think this is why 
religious people get so stuck. Get out of this box and explore. Mm. Out of the box and explore and allow God to speak to you in different ways. That's good, man. Yeah, thanks. Um, I do have one more question that just came up while we were talking that I wanted to ask you about. So, and you don't have to go like super in detail, but maybe some practical tips like, um, okay, let's say a guy, like for example, myself, early part of my marriage, I messed up big time. I was in addiction. I got worse into addiction. I was lying all the time. I did not, I was not unfaithful to my wife, thank God, but I was lying constantly and using drugs. And so I lost a lot of trust with my, like she stopped trusting me and I've gotten a lot back of course, but still there's like, she's got a very strong personality. She's dealt with some stuff with her own dad that I don't need to get into, but, um, I'm still in a lot of ways feeling like there's work to be done to be able to take that leadership role, that head of the household role. Like she's not quite willing to like really let me have it. Um, and I've been clean for like five years. Um, and she's just, that's kind of her personality on some level too. But I don't know, maybe for other guys that are in a situation where, okay, they've taken responsibility. They are doing the right stuff now, but their wives are just not ready to let them really kind of be the leader. They should be any tips for guys like that to kind of build that back. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things with trust, trust is not built through the absence of mistakes, but by how we clean up a mess. And so that's, good. that's, that's one side of it. Trust is also, um, given it's not necessarily earned. Um, you know, you choose to trust taxi cab drivers all the time. And then I would say the last thing is trust is also built through repeated success. Hmm. And, you know, you did that when you were dating her, you said, I'm going to do this. And then you do it. And she trusts you a little bit. And you say, I'm going to do this. And day after day after that's what dating is, you know, you're dating to build some sense of trust. So, you know, there's kind of three different ways that I look at building trust in, in, uh, in a marriage and, and just in life. But I also think that when our role as a man, um, you know, God said to husbands, love your wife as wife, sorry, as Christ loved the church. And I have women ask me all the time, like, do you believe that a woman should submit to a man? Here we go. Now, if there's a woman, <laughs> it's loaded. Yeah, she's just like, oh no. How hard is it? I actually speak? read First Peter 3 in an intro to a podcast I just did. I'm sure I'm going to get some people like, what? <laughs> How hard is it to submit to a man who's laying down his life for you? Not super hard. Yeah. When his whole goal is to make you better. So is to is to bring you up. So the other thing is, the Bible says for a man to cherish and nurture his wife's husbands, cherish and nurture your wife. So that cherish and nurture is talking about the same way that a woman would, would nurture a child. You learn every aspect of it before our baby girl, Edie could even talk. My wife knew what our baby needed. Mm-hmm. Imagine understanding your wife, spending so much time understanding her, creating a safe place for her, 
learning what she's good at, learning how to communicate to her, really learning from that place. That's the place that you're supposed to lead from. Yeah, which takes work. Well, guys are trying to come in and lead from a place of their successes. Yeah. Their dominance. And we're supposed to lead in a, in the sense that it's not that a woman can't. Can a woman not defend the home if she had to? No, she could. She could absolutely defend the home. Just a man is better suited for it because of our uh, our makeup, the the testosterone, the amount of testosterone, which gives us a little bit more edge uh, and aggression, which was only supposed to be there to help us pursue and to help us protect and help to provide. And so I think men have it because they feel really insecure. A lot of men, they lead from a place of proving mm. they can do it instead yeah. of from a place of knowing that they can do it and they're doing it out of a place of security, not to gain security. And therefore Mm. it's all turned around backwards. They want the woman to validate them as a man instead of respect them as a man. And when that happens, you're trying to perform for your wife. It's, I'm not trying to make it super complicated. I'm actually trying to make it so much easier in, in saying that, Our role as a man isn't to walk in the house and go, I'm home. What's for dinner? I'm the leader. Here's (laughs) all the decisions that we're going to make. Your wife may be better at making financial decisions than you. Yeah. She may be better at knowing what the kids need than you. You're just the one that's responsible for making sure that that happens. Mm. You're the one that's responsible. She may make more money than you. You're just the one that's responsible to make sure that you guys are financially sound. Now, whether she brings in more money than you doesn't really matter. Yeah. You're the one that was supposed to initiate. Got and you. So I think that the, the struggle really lies in most women don't feel known. They don't feel seen. They don't feel understood. Therefore, they don't feel safe. Hmm. And if they don't feel safe, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think a whole bunch of men are trying to lead their family from a place of doing instead of from a place of knowing. Yeah, that's that's good, man. That's really good. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Um, any cool adventures planned for 2022? Yeah, so I'm headed out with a couple of friends. We're gonna go to Texas. Nice. Um, the guy, there's some some uh, land that we get to hunt. That's. Uh, they have to kill a certain amount of does and a certain amount of bucks. So the guys cool. say all the does you can, which trust me, won't kill all of them. And <laughs> all the coal bucks that you can. And they've already killed 430 pigs. And they said wow. kill all in. So we're hunting, just the section we're hunting, 6,500 acres. So nice. it'll, yeah, it'd be six of us or something. We're in January? Yeah. Anything coming up for. Uh... 2022 like out like elk tags or bear anything cool like that yeah so i'm gonna go i think i'm gonna go back up to um alaska with my friend we're gonna try and do uh caribou slash moose hunt he just built a new plane um okay i'm trying to get up there for caribou this year as well yeah so we'll go do that and then um 
Uh, Nebraska might be on the books. Colorado, or sorry, not Colorado. Um, Wyoming, my good friend Rob Wiley owns non-typical outfitters. Okay. And so we'll probably um, go chase elk. I didn't draw it this year, but I should draw it next year up there. And then we'll do, we do a long range shooting school up there in Wyoming. Oh, nice. So that should be pretty awesome. Cool, yeah, there, there's, there's more adventures on the books than I actually get to do. I have to, I get them all lined up and then I start taking them off and <laughs> so we're, we're going to have another baby in. Oh, March. nice. Congrats. So that, that kind of puts a, a damper on how much I can do. Yeah. So gotta, well, gotta just do the epic ones. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, it sounds like a good year and there's always going to be Lord willing time for more adventures, but, um, yeah, man, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your vulnerability, um, you know, and being open and, and being, you know, out there, willing to put yourself out there to, to help, help guys. Cause a lot of guys really need it, man. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. Where, yeah. Where can people find, uh, find your stuff or, you know, get, get in touch with Braveco or whatnot. Yeah. So, um, you can follow us at braveco.men on Instagram and, um, you can find me at J, uh, J Ballatin on Instagram as well. They can go to braveco.org and just check us out. Cool. So I'm open up registration again in, uh, February. So cool, man. Yeah. Well, thanks again, brother. Uh, hope, hopefully sometime we can get a chance to meet up in person. Maybe yeah. go hunt together or something. Yeah, I love it. Cool. Man. Thanks again. Thank you, man.